The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Let me open this up in prayer, and then we'll dive in. Lord, I pray you'd, you'd give us uh, your favor. I pray that you'd open our minds and our hearts to understand uh, whether we're not yet in the phase of raising teenagers, or we've already come through it, or we're right in the middle of it. And I uh, pray that you would help us and give us wisdom and discernment as parents, as step-parents, as foster parents. Um, we need you. It's one of the greatest and most difficult tasks, maybe only second to marriage. So please use this time to, to help us be conformed more to your image as a Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read from Proverbs 22.6. And uh, now I'm not going to follow. The, the handout I gave you is for you to go study on later uh, and, and look through. I think I made it simple enough. It's a lots of bullet points. If you're like me, you don't like to read, but bullet points will work. Like pictures and bullet points, I can do that. And uh, we're going to look at just a handful of, of ideas or uh, of thoughts. So Proverbs 22, 6, very familiar passage, very familiar verse. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, uh, I want to I key in on a couple of words here. I want to key in on the word train, and I want to key in on the word uh, child, and I want to key in on the word old, okay? Those three words are critical in helping us understand the text because what we've got in that is the idea of train would be, I think the English translation probably is a pretty good, pretty good understanding. It's talking about academically, talking about morally, building into them a moral compass, helping them understand right from wrong, helping them understand biblical sexuality, creation, uh, basically cultivating a Christian worldview. That's very important for us. So whether we uh, intentionally train them or not, they're going to be trained by us. We can send them to public school, we can send them to private school, but we're their ultimate educators. What they learn in the home is going to be what imprints them for life more than anything else. So train is the idea. In fact, if, if you go back to the Hebrew text uh, and you look and you study that word in the Hebrew text, there's there was an idea where uh, those of you guys that that are that enjoy weapons, um, when when a bow was being shaped, when it was being when 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 a tree was being studied to to create um, a long bow, there were bows that were used for different tasks. So like if you're out on a horse, you're gonna have a short bow, not as much range, but it's like a little dart. The arrows are gonna be lighter. They're gonna be used for like a cavalry uh, a, a cavalry assault. Uh, if you're an archer on the wall of a city, you're going to use a really long bow that's got a lot more uh, range on it. So different bows require different uh, bent of wood. So the word train comes from a tactical term in the archery world that meant you study the bent of that tree to determine how effective it would be for, for making a bow. I've got a weapon that came from, uh, that came from Africa um, that is, it just looks like what it is, it's a, it's a root ball. The tree was then heated, and, sh and, and the tree's about the size, the root ball's about the size of my wrist, maybe, and then the tree's 
you can easily the 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 handle you can easily put your hand around so you've got a root ball and then a handle that comes off of it and it's basically a war club and i talked to the guy there that said what they do is they they use uh they they study different things to determine uh that tree would be good for this that tree would be good for this so it's the idea behind training a child is studying that child's bent so understanding a kid's personality if you've got more than one kid then you understand that you know two kids the same and and that you can exasperate your kids by comparing them to one another so if i say to so so i got the perfect first child who's an angel and then along comes like the spawn of satan you know if i say things like why can't you be like your sister i'm exasperating that child and and maybe you've learned the hard way that that's going to spin that kid out. So, so studying the way that kid's bent, things like, is he creative? Is she artistic? Uh, is he athletic? Is he academic? Is he struggling? Is it very hard? At the kindergarten level, I've got, a, I've got uh, you know, we're, we're in the same year starting college, high school, middle school, and kindergarten in my house. Well, that's just insanity. And I got this kid in kindergarten that we're a month in here, two months in or whatever, and he can't learn his sight words, which this week were I-N-N-I-S-is-H-E, he. We're five days into it. We ain't got a word yet. Okay, whose job is it to figure this out? It's not Phyllis Blaylock, kindergarten teacher's job, right? It's my job. Better figure out what we got to do. So, so he's bent. It's looking like he's not bent academically, <laughs> Is that ugly to say that? No, I got to identify that if we're going to help him, right? So studying, training is studying the bent of that child. Uh, this is, you got to, you know, you've seen a situation where one kid's a super athlete and the other kid's just kind of a goof off. One kid, you know, goes to Ivy League school on scholarship and the next kid is like, I just want to be a welder or I want to build houses. I don't want to do, and so it's just a big difference. Neither's better, neither's superior but understand to train is to study that child and understand the way a kid's hardwired that's that's important the next word is um the word child and that word has to do so if you look at the word child train up a child and then when he is old if we take the word child and we take the word old the word child has to do with uh in the hebrew culture that would be like from zero to 18 Okay, and I think Hebrew culture is more like 16, I can't remember, but in our cultural context, that would refer to an, a, a child who is a dependent, who is under legal adult age. So for us, this would be 18 down to zero. That's a child. But then when it says, when he is old, that begins at Jewish bar mitzvah. What's that, 13? 12, 13? Okay, so when he is old, so when he is 12 or 13, all the way till death. So we've got two words in this verse that tell us, train up my child from zero to 18 so that from 12 to death, he doesn't depart from that training. He doesn't depart from the instruction of the Lord. So what you've got is that middle time period between 12 and 18 is being addressed twice in this text. And so the, the idea could be there's a double emphasis on those formative teenage years. Critical. Working in student ministry, we see the effects of this. Last night and the night before, two nights in a row, uh, we've been in situations where we're dealing with other parents, other families of teenagers, and one of the situations involves one of my teenagers, and the other one involves just counseling another family through a situation, because 
because we're training humans who are fast becoming adults and it's a formative time period so he's saying we don't study them when they're little and quit studying them when they're adolescent we don't pay attention to the little things when they're growing up and then when they hit the teenage years go on cruise control we know that we know that's the critical time period but it's just nice to have biblical affirmation that if i'm training from zero to 18 then from 12 to so he's saying then when he's old when he turns 12 from then till he dies he won't depart from that training does it mean he won't rebel for a season does it mean she won't go off the rails and get pregnant no but it, there's a promise there in scripture and we often see this in the proverbs there are promises that we hold to loosely doesn't mean there's not going to be a season of rebellion or a, a season of falling away but there is biblical instruction that if i do my part this child's going to stay faithful to the lord i hear people say yeah but i don't want my kid to you know a lot of times pastors will talk about how in the american church kids leave the church when they're old enough to drive and usually in their early 30s or mid 30s when they have their own kids they get interested in coming back people freak out over that well i freak out over that too but if that's what it takes as long as my kids serving the lord when the end comes then then i want to do my part to ensure that that happens i don't want them to deviate and walk away during their 20s this is the best prime years of their lives and so i want them to give that to the lord but i also want to put things in place where if that kid at age 35 has gone through a second divorce is jobless and has hit the wall and has lost everything he goes wait a minute there was a foundation laid let me go back to that and we'll start from there it's the prodigal son we're okay with that so what this does is this this prepares us for the kid who stays faithful to the lord to the lord all the way through and goes into adulthood and it also prepares us for the kid that walks away from jesus and some of us have already had that experience and then comes back to the lord the, there's a promise in scripture there so let's talk about the word train for a minute secular psychologists will tell us there's three phases to child rearing the cop phase secular psychologist cop phase coach phase counselor phase cop phase is that time period from like birth till child you know late childhood before they get into the adolescent years cop phase is exactly what it sounds like it's when i'm the i'm the enforcer i'm laying down the law i'm if if that kid so we unapologetically spank in our house don't make i don't make any any uh apologies for that and we do it in a biblical and loving way okay so and that's a conversation that in the q a or discussion here in a few minutes we can have if y'all want to um that doesn't mean that i'm going to teach that every family needs to do that but it's what we believe after much not because my daddy whooped my butt my whole life but through much prayerful consideration and and study in scripture we believe that's what god would have us to do um, but there's a lot that goes into it it's not an irrational or it's not an impulsive act to whip that kid it's a process that's in place where we're going to discipline that kid there's a process that's in place that's going to help restore fellowship grow that child you've got a section that we won't get into in this lecture uh, on discipline somewhere there i think page three uh starts on page three and uh, goes through the last page make number five make disciples of them discipline effectively discipline consistently and then they give you a bunch of bullet points on why you're going to discipline read that study that learn that if you're disciplining children you need to understand why you're disciplining them not just so you get to be right and there and they get to be proven wrong right it's for things like reconciliation not retribution and so 
that cop phase is where, if you think of it, I want to take that child's will and I want to bend that will to my will. Now, it's, it's critical then as a Christian father or mother that my will is bent to the will of the father. And so, so it's not, I'm going to bend his will to mine because I want to be the boss. It's, I need to bend his will to mine as I seek the Lord to conform him at a young age to even to begin that process of conformity to Christ. And so the cop phase is critical for that where things like, uh, we don't like, like, we don't think it's healthy to count to three while your child's disobeying, right? Well, I'm gonna count to three. Okay. So you get three seconds of defiance. Well, well, that's a horrible practice, okay? So don't do that if you're already doing that. Stop doing that. So I speak. God's yes is his yes. His no is his no. When God speaks, he means what he says. He doesn't count to three for us. Is he long-suffering? Yes. The Scripture teaches us in Psalm 50. He doesn't, like, it, it, he's very long-suffering with his people. And, so, and I think it's Psalm 1, 110 through 113. There's some disciplinary stuff. We're talking about God is so long-suffering with his people. But at the same time, when he says something, he means it and he follows through on it. So I want to express that. As, as, so in that cop phase, they need to understand when my dad, mom, stepdad, stepmom, foster, what, like whatever. And, and the fostering thing, some of you are fostering. And we've been in that boat a good bit. And it's difficult, the disciplinary side of things. That's hard. But when, when I, as a parent, am, am, uh, am dealing with a child during that cop phase, what I'm doing is I'm teaching them with repetition and consistency that they don't get to exert their will. So if that happens, if they exert their will a dozen times, then on the 13th time, I'm going to do exactly what I did the first 12. I'm going to be consistent with my faithfulness as they are consistent in their disobedience. So, so now, so I know we're, we're talking about teenagers, but we got to lay foundation because here's why, here's why we had to address the cop phase. Too many people skip the cop phase and let their little rebel, demonic, hellion toddlers rule the show. And then they try to play cop when that kid's 15. And it's hard to play cop with a six foot one, 180 pound kid when you're a five, two mama, that's not easy to do. Dad's on the road or or, or whatever. And so the cop phase is critical because I, I want to bring that up because there are parents here in our, in, in our session and parents that will inevitably listen to this. Get the cop phase right because you can't do the cop phase when they're 15. You cannot do that. You, it, it, it doesn't work that way. God built a progression in this thing. And so if we get the cop phase right, if we, uh, if we recognize two things there, that they're uh, they have a natural sin nature that I'm addressing from the earliest age. As a parent of five, I remember the first time I ever disciplined a child. That was my own. Uh, and it was a, she was about 10 months old, and she spit her food and nah, like that in the high chair. And I reached over, and I three pops on that little hand. And I remember thinking, Am I, uh, I think, I'm, I think now nah, this is it. This is when we do this. Okay, okay. No, ma'am. And remember, she was just in shock. Just what happened, you know? And, and what we're identifying is at the earliest age, the sin nature is going to flesh itself out. We don't have to teach a child to be sinful. We don't have to teach a child to be sinful. Number two, we're gonna, uh, I need to um, understand that if I don't carry out the cop phase, that sin nature is going to rule in that child's life. And the second thing is I'm going to enable or embolden that child in that sin nature. So then I'm an accomplice. I'm an enabler to something bad. I want to enable what's good. I don't want to enable what's bad. 
And so uh, what am I enabling through the COP phase? That's critical. Now, we get to the next phase, which is kind of where we're hanging out in this session, and that's the coach phase. And, and so if you think about if you played sports or you played a musical instrument or you were at anything in school growing up where you had a coach or an instructor, that person has a lot of authority in your life. It's different now than it was in the 70s and 80s when I was in school. But I remember when I was in school, I remember getting whipped with a paddle by multiple coaches. And people were like, you can't, we can't, I'm glad we don't need to go back to that. That's open for another debate. But the point is, I remember I had a great deal of respect for my coaches, but it was a different respect than I have for the law. My coach is not going to throw me in jail, handcuff me, book me, you know what I'm saying? It's a, but there's still an authoritative voice there. And so when you're on that team, what he says goes, depending on the type of coach especially, right? That wrestling team, that coach, he gets to enforce the law on the wrestling matter. In the, you know, that band instructor, that, that band teacher, she, I watch our band practice here at the high school in town. And, boy, she's out there and she's whipping them into shape. She's hardcore. And, boy, on Friday nights there, they don't mess up like little robots out there i mean it's it's and it's because she maintains discipline so a coach maintains discipline but a coach is also instructing now does a good cop instruct he instructs kids but he doesn't instruct a crack addict that just tried to kill him right he subdues him and and, and deals with him that's different than what a coach is doing with a kid who's out of line and so the teenage years need to not look so much cop-like and need to look more coach-like now we also reserve the right to still be cops, right? There's times where with a 14, 16, 18-year-old, I need to enforce the law. And in my home in particular, so things like with the phone or with internet usage or with friends that they get to hang out with. But somewhere around age 8 to 10, we're going to start transitioning into the coach phase. We're going to start transitioning into the coach phase. My dad did not go into the coach phase. He stayed cop until i was 17 I remember the last the last physical whooping i got i was 17 and it was before school my junior year one morning and i remember just thinking when is this going to stop and so i asked him he's like uh when you pay your own bills leave my house like but when you're in my house i'm the law you know <laughs> okay right wrong or indifferent and and i'm thankful for a lot of things that my dad did well work ethic mental toughness teaching us things that have helped us succeed in life but he didn't coach. And so you want to take what your parents did right or wrong. You want to tweak it, refine it. And hopefully my kids will do the same. They'll say, well, my dad did this well. He did this poorly. I think I can do better here and learn from that. So somewhere between 8 and 10 to about 16 or 17, I'm going to play the role of coach. And, and what I want to do is I want to, I want to jump over to page 2, at the top of page 2, considerations for raising teenagers in the coach phase. This is as far as we're going to go in the coach cop counselor phase. I'm going to just touch on counselor at the end here in about nine minutes. But I want to, I want to jump into these. There's a few things here under considerations for raising teenagers that I think are very critical. Now, this comes not first and foremost from being a, a father to three teenagers. This comes probably before that from in 21 years of Snowbird's existence, We've now seen over 110,000 teenagers come through here. 110,000, that's a pretty good case study. What works? What doesn't work? What screws kids up the most? Hour after hour after hour after hour of conversation with teenagers. Hours on end. 
Like it's, I, I, wish, I wish I knew, I wish I had a log of how many conversations I've had. This week alone, just within our internship program that we call the Snowbird Institute, we have several teenagers, 18, 19-year-old kids that I've spent, probably this week, I've probably spent three or four hours in conversation with those kids. So it's, it's constant. And, and what I've learned is this, considerations for raising teenagers, regardless of if you got the cop phase right or not, these are things that if you kind of already off the rails a little bit, you can go back to. Number one, communicate. Communicate. And when I say communicate, we're talking about the way that God speaks to us, not just yelling, not just, not, you know, so not the extreme of the silent treatment and ignoring the problem and not the extreme of just talking too much. You ever been around somebody who talks too much? Like, man, you can stop talking now. But communicating, letting my words be few, but letting them have weight. That's very important. So I want to speak words that matter, and I want to speak them like I mean them. And it goes back to what we said with the one, two, three. I'm not counting three seconds so that kid can disobey. I want my kids to know that when I speak, they can trust me. I had a conversation with a father recently who said, either your son is lying or you know he's telling the truth. Or, uh, either your son is lying to you and you believe it, or you're lying to me and you're covering it up. This is about an accusation I've been made against my son because my son's not perfect. Did you guys know that pastor's sons aren't perfect? Okay, making sure. And I said, okay, before, I said to this man, before we go any farther, we've got a problem. I need to know if you are asking me or accusing me of lying. Because if you're accusing me of lying, we're in a different conversation now. But if you're asking me, do I think my son was honest or not? We can work through that. Okay. So, so communication is critical so that when I sit down with that child, that young, young person, 15-year-old, 16, 17-year-old person, that I want to build and develop communication, like a trust of communication, where tell me the truth, right? I'm going to tell you the truth. If I say something, you don't have to say, I wonder if he's lying or not. You can know I'm telling the truth. Don't lie. I don't lie to you. I don't lie to your mother. I don't lie to the police. I don't lie on my taxes. I don't lie. So communication is something that's critical so they know, okay, if he's saying something, if she's saying something, then I know she means it, I know he means it. There are not, no empty words here. But the second point is communication is as, as much listening as it is speaking, right? It's as much listening as it is speaking. I said, no, I said when possible because sometimes it's a challenge to get teenagers to talk. We see this often where kids are here at camp. And they're having a good time. Everybody's playing and we're talking. We're hanging out. We're having a good time. There's might be 20 kids here. might be 500 kids. But, everybody, but then we come in to sit down and open the Word of God and speak to them. And they go from what to. And it's almost like they zone out. It's like we get into those serious conversations and they tend to shut down sometimes. And so what I've got to do is I've got to listen when they're speaking to me. But I've got to listen in the in-between times. And what, like, this goes back to train up a child, study the way they're bent, understand the psychology of what a child means, of what a young, a 15, 16, a teenager means when they're saying something. So that kid's saying something and they're talking to somebody else, I'm hearing it. If they're saying something to me and I'm trying to, and, and I'm studying, is that like, is that Freudian? Is that, are they saying one thing and meaning something else? Is it passive aggressive? I got to listen to them. Because they're not always going to communicate to me like this. Dear Father, 
My, my oldest daughter will uh, often send me texts, and she starts them with this. My father who art not in heaven. <laughs> She's reminding me of, of my fallibility, right? And so uh, when I speak, it's not God speaking, but I'm a representative in that child's understanding of who God is. I'm representing. I'm a representative of, of God as our father. But then when they're speaking, a lot of times they're not speaking to me. They won't communicate with me. There's, I had a dad in our youth group at church last week say, he came to pick his son up, and I said, he said, how's he doing? And I said, man, he's doing great. He's interactive. He's answering questions. I asked him a question tonight, and he answered, and he spoke up first time whole school year. He said, man, that's good to hear because he won't talk to me. I'm like, don't get discouraged. That's kind of a teenage thing, you know. They're going to go through phases where, but you can still listen. You can still study, train, understand their bent. Listen as often as you speak. It's critical that we listen as often as we speak. And we want them to understand that we care about what they say. Even if what they say is, is bogus, even if they're making an excuse for an action or they're saying something that we know is not correct or not true or not. Like, I want to listen to what they're saying. And I want them to feel like, okay, I've got my, my father my mother's ear. Next one. Um, expressions of love that remind you, that remind them that you love them unconditionally. So, like, this is, just think about, like, the dynamic of the architecture of your house or the dynamic of how many kids you have, how many moving parts are there, what shift does mom work, what shift does dad work, and figuring out ways to express love to them. Like, I'll tell you something that we do, we've started doing that's really effective, is it's either in the morning or it's at night. At some point where everybody's together, we stand in a circle in the kitchen, we hold hands, and I say a very brief prayer. Just making sure we pray together as a family. It's not a big, long devotional. It's not just a prayer over the meal. It's everybody gather up, family huddle. We come in, we lock hands, and I just pray. And I pray. Nobody leads us in that prayer but me. Because that's, that's, I'll make sure that I'm doing that. There's a, there's a clear understanding of my biblical headship and leadership in the home. Now, there's other times where, like, when I'm tucking kids in, you know, when you're tucking small ones in, you're praying with them, I hope, at bedtime or reading them a Bible story. Those are critical times. But when we get to the teenage years, that can look different. You know, like your teenager is probably going to go through a phase where he or she doesn't want you to come sit on the edge of her bed and read them a story. But you know what? You won't know that unless you try it. Because what I've learned is typically mom and dad quit doing that, thinking that kid needs their space. When I've started going into, like, uncle talk to parents all the time and challenge them to do this ask that son or daughter what they would think about you your 16 year old what would he think about you coming in and read him a story at night like uh you really well try it try it and if he and if that doesn't fly then a conversation at night come in and i'm gonna sit on the edge of the bed how you doing you know like we're just talking we're talking we're communicating expressions of love expressions of love I have recently written a poem to one of my daughters, and it is funny. Because I thought that to write a poem, everything's supposed to rhyme. I found out you don't have to rhyme everything, but I really worked hard to make things rhyme. So like somewhere in there, rhyme, I rhymed the words thank you and spank you. <laughs> but I thought, I want to express, and that child loves literature poetry she's a romantic her favorite movie is uh um it's from a british book uh pride and prejudice oftentimes my wife will say to her 
Who are your parents? You have a kid like that? You're like, I don't know where that kid come from. <laughs> Did we make that? You know, like, I wrote her a poem. Why? Because I know that's an expression of love to her. I know it's silly and funny, and we're going to laugh about it for a long time. I worked hard at it. It took me about three months to write, like, one little page in a moleskin. I'd try to get one line and then try to make it rhyme. Whoo, brain's fried. I'm done for a few days. But those are expressions of love. We, every one of us can go to places where we've, those, there's been those expressions of love. And so thinking, okay, how can I do this? But what is the reason for those expressions of love? It's to remind them that they are loved unconditionally. It is intrinsic. The value I hold for them is intrinsic. That means I love them not based on something inside of them. I love them based on a love that grows inside of me and then is manifest in my actions towards them and is imputed to them. That love is bestowed on them. That way, a kid that has done something terrible, like a mom I recently spoke with, whose daughter had just lost her virginity as a just turned 15 year old with a boy who's almost 18, which we are pursuing that one. I've already been to the sheriff's office. Lady, a lady who said, what do I do? I said, make sure your daughter understands that you love her and that hasn't changed based on what she just did. Your love is intrinsic. You are projecting and bestowing that love on her. Therefore, no matter what she does, she can't get out from under it. It's not her performance is reaching out and grabbing that love and pulling it in. We've got to express that to our teenagers because what's going to happen is that's going to get tested. Number four, maintain a firm but loving position of authority. You are in charge. Can you start to move towards being their friend? Yeah, best coaches I ever had were also, I felt like they were my friend. But like I go to Coach Crook. He's going to cuss, swear, chew a lot of tobacco, yell at me, grab me by the face mask, but he actually loves me. I had no doubt in my mind. I could go to him and talk to him, and, if, and, and I enjoyed being around him. I felt like he's my coach, but I kind of feel like he's my friend. But I didn't mess with him. I knew, he's, I, I knew he was in charge. So, so maintaining, I think I see a lot of parents, the reason I put that one in there, I see a lot of parents, and we've all seen this, they either try to be the buddy, you know, or the cool parent, pull out here, turn right, one mile down the road is the house where the cool parents live. My son wants to go there and get lit on Friday or Saturday night. He can smoke pot or get drunk there. I know it. I know she's buying beer for him. I know she's, and they're down there every Friday night. She's the cool mom. She's the cool parent, right? She's the one that makes sure that they know they have a safe place to watch porn and drink and smoke weed. All right, well, we've all seen that catastrophe, right? But we've also seen the other extreme where it's like such an overbearing legalism, borderline like Amish, you know, like, we're going to keep them under lock and key, and they're not going to ever experience the world. We've got to let them fail. And in order to fail, they've got to go into the world and experience some things on their own. And so that's where we've got to maintain that firm but loving position of authority. I, I will often say uh, to parents, remind them that you are in charge. Remind them that you're in charge. You don't have to remind, it by, remind them by saying, hey, I'm the boss, right? But by action, show like let it let it be known that man my parents my dad and and usually there's gonna be it's okay to play good cop bad cop but you better be unified okay so they better not know well when my dad's mad at me i can run to my mom she'll soften the blow or she'll be my escape route no no no. they better know whoever i go to they are unified mom and dad are unified if you want to maintain authority in that teenager's life there has to be a unified front between mom and dad or stepdad, whatever, the two parental figures in the room, okay? And so 
I see this happen all the time. You've seen this where a kid will divide mom and dad. They'll play them against each other. It's really tough when you're dealing with, and some of you may be in this boat, where you're dealing with a remarriage, and you'll see a kid play. Uh, and this happened with my siblings. when my, my parents split up, and I watched my sisters yo-yo my mama. Well, I'll go live with dad. Well, dad said he'd give me a car. Or whatever. And, but I'm talking, so I'm not talking about that scenario. I'm talking about under the same roof, there's solidarity in your parenting. There's solidarity. So they understand the authority is in this home and it is not me. So just remember you're in charge and be confident that you're in charge. For some of us, that comes easy. Like for some of us, being an authority comes easy. Hitting the brakes and backing off is more difficult. For others, we have to try to make ourselves assert our, like, like that authority. It doesn't come natural. Number five, work to remove guilt and shame when they fail. Don't exasperate them. Counseling a mom and dad recently. Um, dad unchurched. Mom is in church, but dad's warming up. And they had a situation where their daughter um, had failed. Um, and I believe she had lost her virginity. She, she, I think she had, she ended up with a boy. She snuck out, ended up with a boy and a bad situation. And I said to dad, you, I said, I'm not judging you, but I've watched your family and you've not been a leader in your home. And you are the one human right now that can turn the ship around. If you will go to her, sit on the edge of her bed tonight. When's the last time you told her you loved her? Now, I don't mean like, love you on like, on a random, like, but you looked her in the eyes and you expressed love to her, made it known to her, and said, go sit on the edge of her bed and tell her you love her and you hug her and you tell her no matter what you've done, that's not what, that's not the identifying characteristic in your life. And so they, they reported back to me, like, I didn't know if I'd hear back from them. And they, they called and mom called and said, I wanted to talk to you. And I ended up talking to dad too. And they said, they said, we sat down, the three of us. And mom was so elated because she said, she said, I've been the sole parent for the last, all through the adolescent years. This is their second or third teenage kid. And she said, he took lead on this. And at the end, she said, after she had spoken and told what had happened when she snuck out and went and had sex with his boy, they found out in that conversation. As a parent, you find out in that conversation, my daughter snuck out at, at 14 maybe, had sex with the boy. She said, she, now she's, she's sitting there weeping and says, do you guys hate me? They said, we stood up, we remember what you said, and we went over there, and we put our arms around her, and we told her we love her, and we forgive her, and we're going to get through this. And they said, it's changed the dynamic of our relationship to the point that we're now thankful that this all happened in a really weird way. Expressing a removal of guilt and shame is critical when they do fail. Because here's the thing, a rebellious kid's going to fail in that rebellion. Y'all know, half of us did this, right? Half of us were rebellious, and it doesn't work out good for you in the end right? It's going to lead to failure. And so then I'm going to work to remove guilt and shame when they do fail. If I get all of that right, and you can, you can read on it some more uh, in your own time, but then somewhere around age 16, no later than 18, I'll be moving out of the coach phase into the counselor type role. And hopefully I get to play that role the rest of my life. Hopefully when I'm 80 and my kid's 60, 65, I got a 65 year old daughter. Oh, that would mean I was 15. Math, I'm doing a hard time with math here. When I'm 80 minus 25, 55. There we go. Uh, when that kid's 55, hopefully I'm getting to 
counsel or coach that kid up in life through a counseling process where they're now leading their own family, you know. And so the counselor role is when that's kind of like the payback season. That's when I get to be the grandparent that spoils the grandkids and, you know, but, but also gets to just enjoy that season of life with my kids.